The busiest draft weekends of the year are coming up, and what better way to get ready than with Todd Zola, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 29th. It's show number 13 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Tuesday Tout show for you with Todd Zola from Masters Ball and Rotowire, and he's going to be talking about the new NFBC Cutline Championship, about head games at auctions, about target drafting, and a whole lot more. It's another terrific Tuesday Tout show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? With Todd Zola in the house, we gotta talk some baseball. And coming to the plate, you know him, you love him, from Masters Ball, and we're going to be talking about Masters Ball site upgrades, as well as rotowire.com. Our special Tuesday Tout guest is Todd Zola. Todd, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Yeah, it has been. Uh, been looking forward to the returning and uh, glad to be talking to you th- today. It's a very busy time of year with uh, website adjustments and uh, projections adjustments and, of course, drafting teams. Let's start with uh, mastersball.com. You've uh, updated the site and you couldn't have picked a worse time given how busy you are. Well, <clears throat> yes, we've updated the site and we're very happy about it. And uh, let's just say we didn't exactly pick this time, but uh, as, as projects often go... Uh, it, this happened, that happened, this delayed, that delayed, and uh, yeah, we're, we're up and haven't had any complaints yet uh, this morning, so we'll keep an eye on the email and hopefully everything's okay. What did you guys do to, to make your updates? What, what, how does it affect the site? Uh, we just cleaned it up a bit. We, the, the appearance is a little bit nicer. We've got a couple of sections that focus on uh, DFS analysis with uh, with a couple of the sites out there that we're working with, so they have their dedicated section. Uh, we were on a <coughs> excuse me a, an extremely old infrastructure, so it just it cleans up some of the login issues. Um, we got a brand new um, a brand new uh, banner, <coughs> an updated banner that reflects the different sports we cover now. So it just it was time for a change. It's been a while. So we um, hopefully it'll make it a little bit easier for the user because there were a couple of glitches. The uh, the site was so old that the you needed the www in the URL for the cookie that shows you're registered to 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 you know to be noticed by the back end. That's how old the uh, the system was. So we've up you know we're we're, we're now we're now fresh and current and uh, hopefully the the site looks that way too and. It's supposed to be mobile friendly. The uh, the forums are the same old forums, so everything's like every, like that is the same. And uh, we're looking forward to it. You know, nice. It's kind of a, you know, it, it's a rejuvenation sort of thing. It's a nice re- refresh, get you get you charged a little bit. It sounds like uh, a lot a lot of back end stuff that people won't see, and a little bit of stuff that people will see. But the most important thing is that the user experience gets enhanced. That's the plan, and we haven't at least <laughs> haven't heard of anything yet that has interrupted our our subscriber account because that was the conundrum at this point was do we you know launch <laughs> during the busiest draft week of the year and, or, and potentially mess up the platinum downloads 
uh, but this makes sure that the site looks good for opening day when you know traffic really picks up. So yeah, the, the, you know the, it, it wasn't the ideal situation. Any fledgling website out there, I would strongly suggest not upgrading a week before the season starts. Uh, but like I said, it was a victim of circumstances more than poor planning. Well, and as you said, uh, it's a very busy time of year on top of everything else with all the writing that you have to do. You have your projections that you want to keep current. And, of course, you've got drafts. How many drafts have you had and how many more will you have? I don't know exactly how many. It's, you know, it's, it's double digits, uh, a lot of which are NFBC uh, drafts, which you know, do not involve trading. They involve a lot of hard work as far as potentially fab and, and roster moves. But the uh, you know the trading aspect of it is sort of the tedium that gets you in, in in the week. You can you can always plan your schedule for fab and for rosters, but you really can't plan your you know I'll have trade talks between 11 and 12 on Thursdays. You really you can't really do that. So the, the fewer trading leagues I have, you know, it's better for me anyway. And uh, this is the upcoming upcoming weekend. Is that this is the big NFBC weekend for me? Uh, with due respect to the other. 363 days of the year because opening day is still my favorite day. The day I do the AL and the NL only drafts for the NFPC is is probably my second favorite day, which says a lot because every day I'm at the Arizona first pitch is a great day. So if I'm saying that's my second favorite day, that kind of tells you how much I enjoy this coming Friday. Have you noticed any players who seem to be finding their way onto your rosters a lot this year? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think the... Uh, the you know the the running joke on Twitter and social media you know has become Cattell Marte. I um I'm, I <clears throat> have seemed to have a lot of as they say now shares. I I seem to have a lot of shares of Marte. Uh, I seem to be getting a lot of J D Martinez. Um, I think I've got a lot of Carlos Martinez. I think I have a lot of um. Uh, maybe I get a little, a little bit of David Peralta. There's some players that I just... It's not that I think are better than other people think, but a lot of it is just I think they're going to have more playing time than someone else thinks, and that's usually what the difference is at this level between analysis is, you know, I think that Marte is going to continue to hit second, and, you know, someone else may be thinking he's going to hit eighth or ninth or something to that effect, and, and uh, you know, I think J.D. Martinez... You know, people are still a little bit concerned, but he, he's shown me enough. And he's kind of, this in my mind, he's kind of like what A.J. Pollock was last year in that he only had one real year of the performance level, but he did have a, a half a year before that. So I, I was, you know, I didn't think Pollock would do what he did last year. <laughs> I hope Martinez has that same jump. But he's sort of the same way that I'm trusting a half a season plus a full season, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I may have a little more trust in some players and, than other people. And at this, at this level... It doesn't take much to jump a guy up on your list over everybody else's. Uh, so, you know, and, and, and my life's an open book. It's not as if I'm, or my, my, my fantasy life anyway. So, you know, people this weekend, it, it isn't too hard for them to know who I like and who I don't like as far as players go. And if they, um, you know, if they want to pay more than I'm willing to pay for Cattell Marte in the auction, great. You know, it's not like I have to have him. I like him at a certain price. So if someone hears this and says, oh, I'm going to nab Marte from Zola at the auction on Friday, well, you know, you're means you're paying through the nose to get him. And I know early on, at least, you uh, had Charlie Blackman on a few rosters. Do you still uh, feel strongly that way? You see, like I said, it's not that so much I like players. It's I like players at a certain price. 
and his price was a little bit lower uh, in, in early in drafting season. And I don't know if it's you know why he's the has helium as our friend Jeff Erickson would say, but he seems to be climbing. Uh, I think a lot of it, and this 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 speaks towards some of the stuff that uh, that our buddy Ron Chandler talks about now in his new book and his new system, in that in that Blackman and Pollock and Betts and and Starling Marte even are all pretty much the same player. So I think people are looking at it as such, and I know I that's sort of my thing too. It's a little different angle than Ron takes, but that's kind of my thing too. And if I want to get a power-speed combo to begin an auction or begin a draft, I look for any of those four players. So I think that has sort of helped. I think other people are along those lines, and that's going to help Blackman get drafted a little earlier because now he's included in the class of hitters that's, you know, maybe in, in theory a little bit better, but he shoot he belongs in he belongs in that conversation with those four guys. I mentioned uh, that you've got a lot of research, a lot of writing going on this at this time of year as well. We all do. And I'm wondering when you when you're doing your research, doing your writing, how much of that finds its way into how you p- actually play the game. <laughs> um it, it, <laughs> I I'm laughing because uh Come this weekend, I'm going to have a computer with me at the at the draft table. It's going to be for one of two reasons. I'm either going to be helping a customer log on to the new website, or it's just going to basically be collating everything I've written and, and stuff that other people write. I don't use the computer to actually draft and to track a draft and track standings, but I'm getting older and I'm forgetting things. So my, even my own prep, I, 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 I don't remember what I wrote about players. I have to uh, you know keep the comment, you know, you know, I control F a lot when I'm when I'm doing a draft, so I can go look at the comments and the comments from the forecaster and and, and other things as well. So during the season or during the draft, uh, I I I will what I've written. I I try to recall. In season, it does help me with with fab. I hear people complaining about Sundays and how much effort they have to put into the fab, but if I'm tracking who's being called up and and the whatnot, you know, for DFS purposes as well as for seasonal. I at least am, I'm ahead of the game as far as that goes, uh, knowing who call, got called up and who's playing that particular week. DFS is a real help for that. And then you know if you're if you're slick with spreadsheets and you know you put all your rosters onto a one spreadsheet and and and, and design it so that if you know if a, you know if Cattell Marte gets hurt, I'm going to know immediately that he's on eight of these 17 teams or whatever. So I know exactly which teams to go to. So I'm like, all right, was he on this team? I forget. Was he on this team? I forget. So I spent some time early in April uh, loading up my spreadsheet that has all my rosters on it so that it's easy to identify hurt players or even players that you know I have on reserve and it turns out they're doing good. I want to put this pitcher in my lineup. I know exactly which teams they're on so I don't have to spend forever on the websites trying to figure out which team I have Shane Green on reserve. I can, you know, I know it's this six teams. Let's, let's get him active this week. One of the knocks on people who play a lot of rosters is that they uh, inevitably let the poorer teams slide while they focus on the ones that have a chance at the money or have a chance at a championship. Do you find that happens with uh, with your teams, as professional as you are and as organized as you are, that the also-ran type teams tend to tend to move back in the queue as far as attention? Um, yes, but it's sort of, I mean, it's with an asterisk. I will always attempt to put my strongest lineup uh, you know, up in, in that day, or that, or that week, or that scoring period, depending on the league, I may not, 
I may not be as active on fab, but I'm not so sure if that's more of a, I don't know, let's <laughs> kind of a, let's leave the good players for the teams competing sort of thing or, or what, I mean, I'm active. I, I, I never want to leave an open roster spot, that sort of thing. But I don't, I, I think that at some point, uh, I don't know, subconsciously or whatever, I might not, you know, do the, as complete a job in the fab. I just, let's make sure that I, that I'm covered as opposed to let's not make sure I'm missing anybody. Um, and it's very, it's rare. I mean, to be honest, the, what, what actually suffers is my DFS play. If I, you know, if I, if I go through a long day of managing teams or writing, if anything suffers, I just my it's I don't put as many DFS lineups in that night. I you know seasonal is still my thing. You take a certain amount of pride representing myself, my website, and the industry. So I do not want to be known as the guy that you know that flaked on his team or whatever. You mentioned uh, a little while ago that you're going to be playing your big NFBC weekend this weekend coming up, uh, but I'm wondering about a, a column you had recently about your foray into a new format NFBC called the Cutline Championship. It seemed pretty interesting, but before we talk about it in any detail, what does this mean, Cutline Championship? How does it work? Right, it's a brand new format, and in full disclosure, I uh, I guess the best word is consultant. I was sort of a consultant on the format. Um the it's 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 a points based best ball format where you have to be above a certain cut uh, i think it's right around the all-star break your team has to have an x x amount of points or be a certain place in your league and to to, to move on so a good portion of the participants are done right around the all-star break and then i think there's three more cuts along the way it's, you know, I, it's, I, I guess it's kind of like a golf tournament <laughs> in that, you know, uh, at the end of Friday, you need to be above a certain line in order to compete over the weekend. But there's like two more cuts along the way. And, you know, I, the, going back to the, the key points being points-based because it's best ball. Best ball means the computer figures out your optimal lineup. And that includes utilities and multiple positions and corner and middle and, and the whole nine yards. So all we do is we do a draft, and then there are two fab periods, one of which is a weekend of the season, the other is early June, at which point not only you can expand your rosters. You can make drops, too. You, it, they expand by 5. It starts at 36. Then you go to 41, then 46. So you can make drops and add more than 5, but you get 5 free ads uh, at each of the two fab periods. And the computer will then do the rest. You you don't you know you don't set a lineup, you know that that's why it's points because you can't you can't do best ball with, with, with roto. You know do you want steals? Do you want homers, etc. So it, it it's designed to sort of be an impulse buy for those that you know have that drafting itch. But the other unique aspect of it, and this this was kind of a point of contention among those that were planning it, and even on the forums in the NFPC, the points are. D designed to mimic five by five cheat sheets as opposed to sort of your standard point scoring that you would see in a points league or even in a DFS format. The idea being while we wanted to draw points based clientele, you know, that, that don't do the NFBC, we also wanted to make it friendly for those that are in it and, and the, the theory being they don't have to they if they think a certain way about a player It'll it'll transcend to the cut line as well. They don't have to re 
redo their cheat sheets so much. I think you, I think you do, but even with the points, because uh, there's other aspects of it. So that it was a way to to add another NFBC league for those that are in it, but they don't have to spend all that time on fab and roster management. It's just that you know we all you know who who doesn't have two hours to draft on a on a Tuesday night in in, in February, but we may not want to interfere with the higher money teams is when it comes to management so we kind of melded it all together and came up with the, the the cut line format just so i understand this best ball situation so at the end of each scoring period the computer looks backwards totes up all your players and gives you the credit for the best 23 right right the nine the nine top the the nine highest scoring pitchers get counted and and in your hitters as well and there's no set distribution you have to have x hitters versus x pitchers you can fill your 36 out and then 41 and then 46 however you please and you know it, it did take a little while to unveil because they needed to make sure that josh harrison you know could be eligible at all those different positions and that the computer was able to look and actually get the maximum lineup in there considering utility in middle and corner and multiple position so I think we're all going to be anxious that first week to make sure that it does it. There's no reason to think that it won't. Uh, they do have this, NFBC has it for their football. And in football, there is a flex position. So they, they do have to have this this sort of look back to make sure that, you know, that the, uh, the flex is filled properly. But it's not nearly as complicated as middle and corner and utility and multiple eligibility. So, you know, we, I trust that they tested it and it will be fine. But yet there will be a few anxious moments when that first scoring period is unveiled to make sure that everything worked out well. You mentioned in your uh, Rotowire blog post about the cut line, uh, one of the interesting things you liked about it, even having participated in how the scoring system was designed, was nobody really knew what the strategy was here because it's so new and you have to think about all that kind of stuff in advance. Uh, what conclusions did you draw in your analytical process to develop a strategy when you were going into your draft? You know, this is, I mean, yeah, going in, I, I mean, I wrote a huge primer from my site about it. You know, this is, it was sort of, you know, before any drafts had even gone off. And you know, I'll mention some of my thoughts, but it was interesting that, that I'm not going to say I threw them all out the window after the draft, but it is, it's only 10 teams. And what I found was, uh, well, all right, some of the strategies, we'll start with there, then I can circle back. There, there are probably going to be spots where you know, you're just assuming, you know, Paul Goldsman, as you mentioned, you're not anticipating he's ever not in your active lineup. You just figure he's going to have a point total every week to be in the lineup. So the, to me, the interesting part was not only thinking about how you want to handle pitching, but how many spots you, you, you feel will be, I don't know if it's fungible, but this, where, where different players bounce in and out every week, where I call it the spaghetti method, where you're kind of throwing a bunch of players against the wall and seeing what sticks, and, you know, this, this week this guy's in there, and that week that guy. And what it, you know, what it turned out when I did the draft was, because it was fairly shallow, and we all have different opinions on players, the number of spots that I thought would be dedicated to this sort of fungible player was fewer than, than I anticipated, which is fine. That means... You know, instead of five out, instead of one outfield spot where I'm, where I think that these guys are battling for the position, um, or instead of two, there's only one because I think my fourth outfielder is probably pretty good, and maybe an, an extra spot or two in pitching that I expected to be a battle between my, you know, 14 or 15 or 16 starters. I figure seven and not eight, or six and not five, 
you know, are now set in stone. Uh, but the, the, the same idea holds. It's just there's just more people battling for fewer spots, which is actually good. It uh, means you did a good job drafting if, if, if more spots are taken by people that are going to be there every week. But so then, you know, then it's become then, then what kind of players bounce into these these transient spots? Uh, maybe maybe hitters that have extreme splits, a left-handed hitter that crushes righties. So maybe one week he's facing a lot of right-handed pitchers and his that's he has a really, really good week or a guy in a good hitting park. Sure, there's going to be weeks where he's on the road and it's not so good. But those weeks he has, you know, six or seven games at home, his numbers should be better. Uh, and if you have enough of these sort of mobile players, the hope is that, you know, one of them is, is you know, is that that's his good week and bounces into that spot. So that was sort of my, my, my plan was to, I don't want to call them reserves because we don't know if they're reserves yet, but the guys that I expected to be in and out of the lineup, I wanted something there that would, you know, give them variance, that would, that would give them a good week and a bad week so that, you know, knock on wood, at least one of them was in a good spot that week and, 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 and scored more points than his average is what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is you want, you know, I'm hoping I have enough of them that so someone scored higher than the average. And with pitching, uh, you know, the closers are more of a, you know, you know what their floor is. I mean, is he going to get five more saves and projected? Uh, maybe, who knows, or five fewer. But they don't get two start weeks. I mean, there are weeks where they get four saves and weeks they get zero. So there is that, but I decided to go with strictly starting pitchers and hoping that between two start weeks and just guys that have happened to have a good matchup that week that I'm able to just jump in, you know, nine really good uh, pitching performances for that week and, and not rely on the relievers. Now, I don't know, maybe maybe in April I decide, you know, that was wrong and I'll fab one of these closers and emerges or maybe in June when we go to 41 or 46, I'll decide that was wrong and fab in a closer that emerged from April to June. I, actually, I probably will because at that point we have 20 more, 10 more roster spots. But at least going in, I went with the all-starting pitching plan. I thought that was an interesting approach because of the difference. I thought right away, of course, you're going to get a uh, – a nice increase in strikeouts, but at the same time, a strikeout's only worth one point, a save is worth six, but then you're going to get a lot more wins with all these starters, theoretically anyway, but they're not as reliable as saves. It was an interesting balancing act that you pulled in making that decision. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out a closer. I don't know, Mark Melanson or or, or, or Craig Kimbrell or someone, maybe both, because one gets saves and the other gets strikeouts and saves. I'm going to see what they average every week for points. And then what I'm going to do is take a look at my pitching staff and see, you know, how many weeks they, if, if I find out that they would have pretty much been in every single week, then I, then I made a mistake and that, you know, I, I wasn't able to get a better starting pitcher on, on a regular basis to dis, displace them from my lineup. Um, so I am going to, you know, I am going to monitor, you know, did I make a mistake? And like I said, if I don't correct it in April, I will correct it in June, of course, who knows in June? I mean, I, you know, some good closes emerge. Not every closer that emerges is, is poor. Maybe a guy gets hurt and, you know, his backup is really, really good. You know, if Melanson gets hurt and Tony Watson closes, we all want Tony Watson, you know, as opposed to, you know, one of the lesser guys getting the job. So I, I do suspect that by uh, June I will have a closer. And the more I actually, the more I've thought about it, the more, you know what, 
I probably should have put one closer on my roster just for that reason, just so that, you know, what if my pitchers all bomb that week? At least I got a guy that, that, that got a couple saves. But who, you know, who knows? Maybe the closer didn't get saves that week too. So what I probably should have done, and I'm going to do a couple more of these leagues, and I'm going to guess that I'm going to take a look at the average draft position, even though I don't follow it verbatim. I'm going to identify a closer or two who I like more than the um, than the market seems to, to, to rank, and I will probably figure on getting that guy on my roster. It might be Melanson, who I mentioned, because he doesn't get strikeouts, or it might be K-Rod, because he doesn't get strikeouts, uh, but you know they do get the saves. And maybe there's a, a week where Melanson or K-Rod get four saves. Because, shoot, they're going to get 40 of them over the course of the season. So they're going to have one of those weeks where they're really good. And uh, I'll probably have those guys on my on my next cut line. I don't think we uh, talked about it, but was this was a straight uh, snake draft, not an auction? Right. It's a 10-man. It's only a yeah, 10-team snake. Um, so and it, you know, it goes by really, which is part of, part of the part of the appeal is that if you get a bunch of, you know, sharp drafters, it could go by in two hours. And even if they're not so sharp, it takes two and a half, which, you know, is, is you know, like I said, who doesn't have two hours on a on a Wednesday night in March or February to do a draft? You know, if we never had to manage a team, we'd do a draft every single night, some of us, <laughs> you know, mocks or whatever. So uh, that was that was part of the appeal was if we make them 10 team leagues, you know, shoot, you could decide 10, if, if, you, if you go to the forums and, you know, nine o'clock cut line has an opening and it's 10 of nine, you know, make the phone call or, 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 or sign up right away, get that spot. And you're drafting 10 minutes later and you're done, you know, by 11 o'clock, you know, that night, check your, check local listings. Um, so yeah, that was the, 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 the shorter teams or the shallower teams was done by design. It's an interesting setup. And I, I wonder if you could go through as a, as a planning strategy before the, before the season started, Look at your league or a couple of leagues and figure out where, what rounds are, are closers going in and what caliber of closers going in what round. Compare that with where you took some of your pitchers in, in those same rounds. Then just go to like baseballreference.com or your own statistical um, database if you happen to have it and look at the just towed up how do they do on a week-by-week basis because uh, a, a big part of this I, I, I think might be consistency from week to week. I know at baseballhq.com there's a week-by-week uh, consistency score that they give for, for daily fantasy play and for, uh, for uh, um, various kinds of head-to-head play and so forth where you want to make sure that you don't have any real spike and, and plummet type guys and so you could look at you know, if, if uh, your third-round pitcher was John Lester and, uh, and a third-round typical closer was, you know, one of the top guys, Kimbrell, you could just go and look at last year's game log and say, on a week-by-week basis, which one of these guys tended to do better and then adjust your uh, strategy accordingly. Well, I, you know, I, I respect the research that HQ has done. Uh, my own has shown that even the most consistent players are wildly inconsistent in season, and it's just not predictable. And I'm just going to go, I mean, in football, I think there is, there is definitely something to it. I've done studies that show a team that, you know, scores uh, a few, has a fewer, has, has a fewer points per week average, but, but less of a standard deviation than a team that may have a higher points per week, but a higher standard deviation, randomly speaking, will score more points. I just don't, I just don't, have not been able to find that baseball players, are consistent or inconsistent and and can be evaluated as such. So I'm just looking for the, the player I feel is best. If there's anything 
it might be hitters that have a, a low contact rate may tend to show more variance just because the, the, when you have a low contact rate, you're so dependent on BABIP. And, and if you just have a, a lucky BABIP week, that you, you may just have a great week. But um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should pay more attention to the consistency. But that wasn't part of my, my planning. I mean, it's not quite the same, but I felt that I wanted to focus on pitchers that go deep into games and that were on good teams because that helps the innings pitched and the wins. Now, of course, that is baked already into my projection. So I don't know if it's double dipping by, by focusing on those, but I still felt that, you know, if a projection is an average, those players would have weeks where they were above that. And again, if I have enough pitchers, I'm looking for the pitchers that do nine pitchers that do better than their average in a particular week. So you can't predict wins, but I feel better about a pitcher on a team that, you know, a better team that has a better chance of getting a win. Uh, so, I mean, it wasn't consistency, but I did have some thinking along those lines in my lineups. Yeah, the inning pitched score, you get three points for an inning and plus six for a win, really seems to tilt the ball field in favor of starting pitchers. But then again, you're also surrendering points for hits, walks, and earned runs, which they're going to allow more of as well. So it'd be interesting to see just on a uh, on a week-by-week basis if there is any kind of pattern. It just seems to me intuitively that a closer, an established solid closer on a decent team like a Craig Kimbrell, for instance, is likely to score his his share of strikeouts. He's going to have uh, at least a save a week, which if he gets one save a week, he matches his counterpart on the in the rotation most weeks who only gets one start. And, uh, and then, of course, he's not going to allow any hits or walks pretty much or any earned runs most of the time. So, yeah, it would be, I would be very curious to see it. It, it sounds very interesting, and, uh, and uh, I hope it catches on because uh, it would be something that a lot of people might find enjoyable, especially the low management aspect of it. Yeah, I'll admit now, I think I made a mistake by not having any closers just because um, I think that, you know, like you said, a Jansen or Kimbrell, Wade Davis, they're going to be one of the top nine pitchers every week. And as long as I don't, in my mind, overpay, I think that that's going to be the key is um, I don't want to, you know, I, wh- where it is I n- need to take these guys to get them. Um, but I, I think in retrospect, I probably have made a mistake, at least in my first cut line, which I will look to rectify. In uh, I will be doing another. Of course, the NFBC and in their infinite wisdom ha- offers a discount for the third. So it's like after you do your second, it's almost, well, I'm not going to say the third one's free. But it's almost like, well, I'm kind of, I, I, I'm pot committed. I might as well just do my third now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's good marketing. It's good business. So I will probably, uh, probably add two more. But um, we shall, we shall play that by ear. But I do think you're right that it was a strategic or tactical error not to have at least one, if not two closers, in there. Just because, you know, I, I took a couple of hitters because I know their floor is high and I didn't want to get totally crushed at those positions, I think a closer would do the same thing, would would make sure that you weren't crushed at all nine pitching spots, or at least a, a couple of back-end ones. You did have, you knew you were going to get something those those weeks. Uh, just to be clear, I don't think you made a strategic error or not. I, th- I don't think there's any way of knowing until you run through the league. Well, that's it, true. <laughs> it, it, it's it's going to be really tough to say, I, I think, until you have a chance to run through a league. Is there any likelihood that they'll start new leagues partway through the year if, if people find it you know, exciting or, you know, if you get cut away, you might want to say, geez, I, I wouldn't mind redoing my draft at All-Star break and playing another kind of half-season league. 
They do that. I don't know if they'll do that with the cut line, primarily because the first cut's around the All-Star break. So I don't know. Um, and I think that was, I think, to be honest, it was purposely done uh, this way. I mean, I'm not going to say it was in line with when football starts in earnest, but I don't think it was a coincidence that right around the All-Star break, football drafts start to pick up too and, and, and that sort of thing. They do have, they do have, they did have some, some second-half drafts a few years ago. Um, but I, I don't know if they're, if they'll, one of which was very interesting in that you drafted and not only do you get the second half stats, you got what the player did over the first half along with what he does in the second half, which I think was a very interesting twist. Um, I don't know if they'll have those this year. A lot of it, you know, the, 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 the ability to run them and to monitor them. And they just have so many leagues now that I, I don't know if they can just, you know, manpower to uh, to watch them. But that would be interesting. It's kind of like, a, you know, I don't play cards, I don't play poker, but I've heard people talk about, you know, can I buy myself back in? And, you know, it's kind of buying yourself back into a uh, to the cut line. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And when we come back, be asking Todd about head games in drafting, target drafting, and a lot more. Stay with us, Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Ray Murphy with a special draft day offer for listeners of the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. Over the next couple of weekends, fantasy baseball players like you will be heading into drafts and auctions from Arcadia, California to Yazoo City, Mississippi, and from Albany, New York to Walla Walla, Washington. And we want you to take BaseballHQ.com with you into your draft room to help you come out with a winning team. Baseball HQ has a complete set of draft tools to help you draft the best team you can. For straight draft players, we've just updated our comprehensive straight draft guide. For auction players, our custom draft guide lets you set your league's parameters, not just for scoring categories, but for hitter-pitcher splits, category weights, position scarcity, and more. And then you get customized player value projections that will put you miles ahead of all of those guys with their magazines. Every fantasy drafter will be able to use the spring training wrap-ups in our buyer's guide columns, the news and analysis in our playing time coverage, strategy ideas in our gaming columns, and ongoing performance analysis in our regular facts and flukes features. Even our industry-recognized fantasy research can give you an additional edge. Would you like to know how catchers influence fantasy value for pitchers? Our new study on framing will tell you. And if you like to play some long shots, and we all do, you'll get valuable insights from our spend column. All of this and more is yours at BaseballHQ.com. And we have a limited-time offer just for Baseball HQ Radio listeners. We'll give you a $10 discount off any subscription. Just enter the code HQ Radio, all one word, in the coupon box at checkout. Remember, that's HQ Radio, all one word, in the coupon code box at checkout to get $10 off a draft prep or full-season subscription to BaseballHQ.com. Act fast, because this offer ends at 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, April 3rd. One more time, that's HQ Radio, all one word, in the coupon code box at checkout. Have a great draft and a winning season with Baseball HQ. And thanks for listening to Baseball HQ Radio. 
Hey, let me tell you about BaseballHQ.com and why we call it the best fantasy baseball website in the business. It's because BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game during spring training and all season long with the content across a wide range of great information. This week, Jock Thompson's Keepers column has part three of the changing 2016 landscape. Glenn Lowy opens his Chasing the 2016 NFBC collaboration with Baseball HQ, has some last-minute pre-draft thoughts, and in his excellent Market Pulse column, Matt Cedarholm looks at spring movers like Chris Coughlin, Juan Uribe, Sam Dyson, and Hunter Strickland. During the season, BaseballHQ.com has daily matchup reports, a daily fantasy dashboard, team coverage, minor league scouting, the projections, and other roster management tools you can use to dominate your league or daily fantasy baseball. And it's all only at the website with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is BaseballHQ.com. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And Todd, uh, in an earlier column you said, and I quote, one of the best parts of auctions are the head games, about 98% of which are garbage. But they're fun to pretend they make a difference. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I'm guessing that was in response to something I had heard on the radio or read. um, One of those typical, you know, what are some of your auction tricks? And, um, you know, things like, you know, jumping in it, going twice or your tone, you know, bidding like you really don't want that player, you know, all right, 17, or or, or just some of the, the table talk about, you know, well, you know, wow, you know, you do you do know this guy had two hits last night or in spring training, yada, yada, yada. I just feel that at least, I, I don't want to sound elitist, but at least in the, the leagues, the level, the, 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 the industry leagues that I play in, a lot of that stuff, I mean, people know how much they want to pay for a player. And that player goes for that amount. So while these, you know, while it's fun to go, all right, all right, you made me do it, 19. If someone wants to go 20, they're going to go 20. They're not going to, oh, he doesn't really want him. I'm going to stick him with him, uh, that sort of thing. Or, you know, in, you know, jumping in it, going twice. If I were going to go one more, you know, I'm going to go one more. And all you did was, you know, you know, take it take longer for the player to be auctioned off because I'm going to up you anyway. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, like I said, it's fun, though. And I think the it, it may have been in response to the difference between an online auction, which uh, I've kind of run some of those, the NFBC versus being in the room, where the in-the-room dynamic is just spectacular. Uh, of course, I got I got things that I think aren't garbage, but, of course, you know, it's like when I win, it's skill, and when I lose, it's it's, it's bad luck. But, no, I have, I have, you know, auction tricks, which I think are, are not garbage that, you know, you may feel are garbage. Who knows? Oh, do tell. Well, you like the way I set you up for that? Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my favorites, and I think we've actually talked about this, they call it jumping to the nines. First of all, I think jump bids or freeze bids are pretty effective because it gives uh, less amount of time for the other for the table to consider a player. Uh, you know, if you start a bid at one and, it, you know, it starts to crawl, you know, you, you now you can shuffle through your sheets, see your notes, look up what he cost at labor, look up what he cost at tell wars, that sort of thing, you know, read his read his his forecaster quip, and and develop a better idea. But if you know if a player starts you know close to what he's going to sell for, you don't have nearly the amount of time to make a decision. So I think that e- either starting a bid pretty high, or jumping the bid to a number close to what you what you will pay, often will eliminate some of your competition that may have come in 
after deciding to. And the whole nine thing, this is the part, this may or may not be garbage, but it, the numbers do bear it out. There's some psychological barrier about nine and 19, not so much nine, but 19, 29, and 39. It's kind of amazing how auction after auction, you know, what 10% of the numbers should land on nine because there's, you know, 10 possibilities, but more than 10% in almost every auction of the bids end on nine there's just something about going to 20 or 30 or 40. so if i like a player for 23 or 4 and it's at 13 i may jump them to 19 and you know hopefully that freezes people out you know maybe i'm going to keep going if someone says 20 you know maybe i'm wrong and no one cares about it and they say 20 but for whatever reason when i look at auctions the nine seems to be the most common endpoint. again i think you, you have to make the case that uh, that's probably less true in in experts leagues where they all I mean you're, you're not going to get Larry Schechter not to bid on a guy because you bid 19 if he thinks he's worth 27 he's going to he's going to keep going or even if he thinks he's worth 23 he's going to keep going and that tends to be the rule having said that though I think that uh, one of the interesting aspects of a, especially of an auction draft in in this regard is being aware of how the room is working and especially the pace of the auction. Now, I used to draft in Tout Wars uh, Mixed with Jeff Erickson as the auctioneer, and Jeff is a very, very rapid-fire auctioneer. As soon as a player is bid on, he says, going once, going twice, and you just don't have time, which means if you take that step of jumping up to 85% of what you think uh, you'd like to get the player for, you're really putting a lot of pressure on the room in a way that you're not if the auctioneer is one of those guys who stands around and lets everybody think about it for 15 seconds before, you know, looks around at every single guy at the table, tries to figure out if anybody wants to bid, and then finally it's going once, going twice. That the the pressure move of, of jumping the bid works better under certain circumstances when the auction pace is higher than it does when the auction pace is lower. And maybe there are other tricks that you need to try to pull in in slow-moving auctions to try to, to get people off their game. Right. Now, I mean, to be clear, I mean, Jeff is excellent, and part of it isn't so much Jeff. It's that you want to get a 15-team team auction done and get people out of the room and over to Foley's and, and start to celebrate. Plus, there's a the radio has an X amount of time. Jeff is just very good at uh, being the guy to make it go faster, to fit into that radio spot, and to get everybody to Foley's so they can, you know, we can do our little celebration thing. Um, the AL and the NL, they move. You, know, we were, you were in the AL. They move pretty good too, but it's it's the same window as time. But there's th three fewer teams, so it can go at a little bit more leisurely pace. Uh, because, you know, they, there are fewer teams. But, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, one of my tells, and I, you know, if, if, I'm, if, if someone's in the NFBC and hears me and, you know, knows this is the case, well, you know, whatever. Once I started putting fantasy analyst on my tax form, all this went out the window. But if I nominate a player at one, it probably means I don't want him, and I want people to think about it and keep bidding him up and up and up. But if I nominate a guy at 17 or, or 21 or whatever, it probably means I do want him. Because now I'm trying to give the room less time to, to think about it. And to be honest, uh, I think this stuff does work in the NFPC. Some of these jumping to the nines. And I think the head games work a little bit more uh, in the NFPC. Just be, not because the people are any you know not as smart or anything like this. I just don't think they're, they, they may be as experienced uh, at the auctions. And some of them come from a home league into the NFPC. 
and we move just as fast uh, in the NFPC as we do in the uh, in the industry leagues, and I think they're flustered by the speed. And anything I can do to add on to that, I think is to my advantage. I'll tell an anecdote of my favorite head game story from my home league years ago. There was two guys in the league, and they frankly, they just didn't like each other. And one year, the one guy just decided he was going to stick it to the other guy, and he didn't. apparently he didn't even mind wrecking his own team just to make sure that the other guy was going to get bent out of shape. And the player that they were uh, fighting over was Jim Tomei, who's guy number two's favorite player in the league. And he always drafted him every chance he got, and, uh, and he was a pretty good player in those days, maybe a 26, $27 player. Well, the bidding shot through $27 like it was uh, f- fired from a cannon, and uh, the, the guy who was trying to get under the other guy's skin just kept raising. Up and up and up they went. They were 27 past 30, past 35. As they got to 40, it started to slow down, but he kept bidding, and I, I can't remember who got him, but the guy whose favorite player was Jim Tomey was so mad that I think it actually affected the whole rest of his draft. Even if he didn't have to spend $44 on a $27 player, he was bent out of shape by the, by the mere fact of this, of this uh, trans, transaction taking place the way it did. So, again, not going to work so well in experts leagues or in, in highly experienced leagues, but if you're playing with a bunch of you know, just your buddies and they're just having a little bit of fun, sometimes uh, you can get a hot hit or two and you can take advantage. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll tell a quick story myself. It's, I think I may have mentioned this on, on a pod before, but it's, 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 it's funny enough to worth mentioning again. Um, it was a home league, and my, you know, my then Masters Ball partner, now Tampa Bay Scout, Jason Gray, and I were in this league, and we were shadow drafted big time. That basically meaning anytime we bid on a player, someone else would up it because if Zola or Gray are bidding on him, he must be good. And it was sort of frustrating. At the time, our buddy Rob Leibowitz, who's in Tout War, AL Tout Wars, uh, was not in the league, but you know he was working on the website with us. So Jason and I planned in advance to, I, if it was him or myself, I forget who, to nominate Rob at one, and then the other would like, no, you're not getting no way, and go to two, and you know table talk it. Oh, you, you think you're going to get a bargain three? And sure enough, someone jumped in at seven, and we got Rob up to sixteen. <laughs> um, and uh, he didn't have a very good year that year, unfortunately. So his owner wasn't happy, but. Yeah, I mean, this is a home league, and to kind of, you know, to kind of say, guys, we know what you're doing. You know, we got our, we got our friend and fellow writer, Rob, Rob Leibowitz, up to 16 in an AO only league. I had a shadow drafter in that same home league uh, a few years ago. Right, It was after I had started working for Baseball HQ, so, you know, your name starts appearing on the front of the book and on the website and so forth. And so his... He didn't prepare for the draft usually, but on this occasion he hadn't done anything. And it was abundantly clear to me that his strategy was to wait for me to bid seemingly in an interested fashion on players and then to just jump in and outbid me. So uh, the player that jumps into my mind uh, in this regard is uh, Ivan Rodriguez, who was on the tail end of his career. And uh, I got a bidding war going with this guy and and lumped him onto his roster for $18 or something like that. And, uh, of course, I I knew that Ivan Rodriguez was a $3 player by that time in his career. So uh, managed to do that a couple of times or just nominate guys near the end, get get him to bid and stuff like that. But... Uh, as a general rule, if you're playing head games, chances are the person you're fooling most is probably yourself. 
uh, Todd, in a column a while ago, you said uh, playing DFS, Daily Fantasy Baseball, had taught you some stuff that you're able to apply to the season-long formats. And I was curious about that. What do you think you learned from DFS that applied uh, readily to the season-long game? Well, a few things, some of which were player-oriented. I mentioned Ketel Marte. I think the reason he's on my radar was because he was such a solid uh, excuse me, DFS performer towards the end of last season. I think I can say the same about Jared Eikhoff and, and Adam Conley, a couple of endgame pitchers which I seem to have a lot of exposure to, uh, mainly because I you know, was aware how, of how well they did down the stretch and the fact that they're likely to have jobs this year. Uh, you know, DFS kind of taught me that. Then it's sort of just some overall philosophies where, um, and I think this is true of, of, of seasonal play as well, where a player may have been on your team the previous year and maybe you won, maybe you won money. And in DFS, that's, you know, maybe, you know, this this, this DFS player was a constant on some of your lineups for whatever reason. Uh, don't overrate him. You know, he, he, you know he, he was good last year. You know, don't don't give him credit this year, you know, go in with an open mind and, you know, be aware, you know, I mean, I, I was, I'm definitely was more aware could tell Marte, but I, you know, going to talk a lot about him, I guess. I had to make, I had to really gauge where the market sees him and, you know, the whole ADP thing where I'm not married to it, but on certain instances, on certain players, it does help to know where the market is, 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 is ranking him so that if I, I may, I want him, if I have him as a, you know, if I have him as the 130th player and the market has him as 210th player, well, I mean, I could take him as the 132nd player and, and get a profit, but I don't have to. I can wait a bit. I may not wait till 210, but, you know, so so on certain players like that, the ADP does come in handy. Um, what do I learn? I learned, um, I learned, especially in the high stakes, that you you need to occasionally take a chance to, to, to win. Just like you, you, you might need to take a chance and be contrary in, to win a, a GFS tournament. I think to win, you know, the overall in an NFC league, you may need to, to loosen it up a little bit and... Uh, and and you know take a take a chance go for Bryce Harper over a more safe player in the first round or take Giancarlo Stanton over a safer player in the first round even though they have an injury history or the whatnot you know if they you know you're trying to beat a thousand other people you know you need something like that a player like that to come through and you know the old mantra is you know safe early take your chances late well everybody's doing that <laughs> I think to separate you may need to take a chance early. Um, I think we all knew this, but especially high-stakes players. But it really emphasized how important batting order is. On a, if it's important on a day-to-day basis, it's it's also important on a seasonal basis. So, to to pay more attention to where Colton Wong and and again Marte, if he hits second or hits ninth, or where the Red Sox put Xander Bogarts as they keep him in the third or fourth hole, or they drop him down in the order when they have a you know a healthy team. So I think it it, it showed me to pay even more attention to the uh, to the batting order even in seasonal play you also recently said in a column you're not as much a fan of target drafting as you used to be uh, wondering why did you come to that conclusion I actually I think I've written about this for HQ um, it, it's primarily because I uh, I don't excuse me I don't see the difference between drafting the the, the, the player that you think will help your team the most and drafting a player that will help you attain a certain target. Now, by target drafting, what we do is we, 
you know, you, you'd look at last year's standings, the last couple of year standings, or if it's the NFBC, you can look at several league standings and figure out how many points it takes to win the league, figure out how many points it takes in each category to get that number of points, and the stats you needed at least last year to get that number of points. And you aim for that target. So, uh, and I, this, this I know I did for HQ, was one of the things I found out was you're only drafting on the average 75% of your final total. This is in the forecaster and in the research archives at HQ for those that are subscribers. Um, you're only drafting on the, anywhere between 65 and 90, averaging 75%. So, you know, if you're looking for, I don't know, 260 homers, you're probably only drafting about 195 or so of them. There's still a lot of wiggle room from reserve and from free agency. So the point being, if you're at the end of a draft and you notice your short home runs, you don't add Chris Carter to your team just to get that, you know, the Rotolab standings to say that you win the draft. You know, if there's a, if there's a, you know, maybe you do need Chris Carter. You know, maybe that's part of your plan is to add power late. But don't do it just to win the draft. Uh, if there's a better player on the board that, you know, gives you a better foundation to manage your team for the next 26 weeks, take that. Take that player. So, I, I mean, I think that doing target drafting and not doing target drafting, you're probably drafting the same players either way, you know, or, or buying the same players for the, you know, first 18 or 19 picks. It's just that last handful that you're looking at the standings to try to win the draft that you may deviate from, you know, taking the, the stronger player versus the, the category. But like I said, you know, I can see a strategy where you purposely buy a lot of batting average or draft a lot of batting average with the intent of drafting Chris Carter. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking him so that when you walk out of the draft, you're on top of the stand. You don't want to win the draft. You want to win the league. The exception, though, you said is ERA. You do pay attention to that. Why is that different? Okay, this is you know, my other mantra is draft the pitcher, not the round. You know, for years we would hear, I'm not taking a pitcher to the sixth or seventh or eighth round. And this, you know, it speaks towards how the high stakes situations are drafting pitchers earlier and earlier. At this point, I think it's a joke how early they're taking them and that they're doing it because they think they have to, not because they've sat down and strategically determined this is the best play. But that's neither in here nor there. It's being done. You have to react to it. And the idea being, uh, you kind of know what ERA you need to finish with a certain amount of points to be competitive. And, you know, if, if that number, in, in my case, it's 3.50. Figuring if I hit 3.50, I probably actually have our 3.60, which is kind of what I want. So in order to get a 3.50 ERA, I need about half my staff to have an ERA below that. And, you know, you can't start a staff you know, with a 3.60 ERA and end up with a 3.50. You know, it just doesn't work that way. So by tracking the ERA, uh, I'm able to end up in a competitive point, you know, with my final team ERA. Because the other thing I found with that research, and this is sort of interesting, is this is on the average. This isn't in every single league. This is not, you know, every single league follows this format or follows this uh, path. But the only... You know, if you if you add up or you average the ERA of all first place and all second place teams coming out of the draft, and then what you ended up with over the course of the season, the only team that improved that ERA was the champion. Now, again, not every league the champion improves, and not every league there wasn't another team in the league that didn't better their ERA. But on average, the only team that improved the ERA was the champion. 
So it's a lot harder to manage. You know, we talk about all the time. You're going to be talking with guests all year that talk about streaming pitching and you know that sort of thing. Well, it's a lot harder to successfully stream pitching than 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 people might believe. So you really need to leave a draft with a pretty solid foundation, and tracking the ERA allows me to to do that. I, I, you can do it intuitively, or you can do you know I have a simple tier number tier system that at least guides me so that I end up with an ERA at least in the neighborhood of what I need to compete. I'd like to ask you about that tiering method in a second, but when you say that the uh, champion is always the team, uh, usually the the team that improves its ERA during the season, is it typically uh, an improvement from a good baseline or is it an improvement from all kinds of different baselines? I haven't looked at that granular level yet because that's to me that's actually very important. And I, I did not, I was going to follow that up this year and I didn't do it. You know, to make it clear, we're not talking about the team that drafted Zach Greinke last year or Jake Arrieta. That gets baked into the opening day ERA sort of thing. We're talking about the team that picks up a pitcher in season that is better than you know than their staff. Uh, so the, yeah, that's that's an excellent question because and it's an important point to sort of the next step of the study is you know the team that drafted Jake Arrieta or Zach Greinke obviously did very 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 well and probably finished pretty high. Um, but, um, yeah, did the team have a poor staff and, you know, did he, did he make it, did he go from the seventh to the sixth or the sixth to the fourth or what did that, what did that person do? I don't know. I understand that it's important and strategically we should help us hone what we shoot for as far as our target ERA. Who's to say that, you know, if you need 120 points to win, that shooting for 12 points in the category is the optimal place to shoot for. So knowing the answer to your question would would help define what my target should be. And uh, Todd, you talked about tiering pitchers. You you uh, alluded to it a little bit. Can you give us a little more detail on how that tiering method works? I thought it was pretty interesting. Right. I don't do it by standard, you know, overall value. There's me using the word value, which I don't like. Overall potential, uh, which incorporates wins and strikeouts and the whatnot. I do it strictly by ERA. Now, real quick, um, I I figured ERA dub, uh, sorry WHIP dovetails with the ERA. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily, because as we know, ground ball pitchers may have a higher ERA relative to their higher WHIP relative to the ERA, and fly ball pitchers may have a lower WHIP relative to the ERA. But over nine-person staff, that usually evens itself out. So I figure, you know, in a nine-person staff, WHIP will dovetail pretty well. And it just was just so much more tuned into ERA. I can, you know, I can tell you my projected ERA for almost every pitcher. I don't know that I could tell you my projected WHIP, even though WHIP might be a more stable number to monitor or to to, to use. Uh, but anyway, so what I'll do is I'll tier by ERA, and I'll I'll just look for natural breaks in the in the ERAs. If there just is a point where from this pitcher to that pitcher, the the ERA difference is, is larger adjacent pitchers I'll just put my I'll just break the tier there it's it's sort of uh, you know kind of arbitrary but there's somewhat of a basis for it and I will average the ERA and the innings of each tier and I'll just assume that each pitcher within that tier that's what he is there's enough variance in both innings and ERA that 
you know, that if I pick my tiers properly, that, you know, anyone within that, you know, Corey Kluber is the same as Garrett Cole. Even though I have, you know, different projections for him, for the purpose of this tiering, they're the same guy. Uh, Clayton Kershaw's in a tier by himself. You know, Arietta, Sale, you know, Scherzer, you know, Bumgarner, they're all, for the purpose of this, they're all the same guy with a, the same ERA and the same innings projection. And then I just, you know, it's a, I use Excel and do a little weighted average. And if I have one from this tier, two from this tier, three from this tier, and I do the same with closers, you know, you, you, Excel can figure out real quick what your ERA is. And I just, I map out several of these pathways. I need, you know, two from tier three and one from tier five and three from tier six and then, you know, two tier two closers or whatever to land on a three five ERA. I have several of these pathways figured out and, you know, whichever one I take, I shall end up with an ERA, you know, close to what I want. And I will also, again, I'll look at the ADP to get a feel. Well, in order to do this path, well, that means I'm going to need two pitchers in the first three rounds, and then I can wait to the seventh round. And, you know, what hitters can I take in between to sort of plan my strategy? Um, you know, and then also which of these pathways lands me on hitters that I feel I like more than the money. If I if there's a hitter, if I want Cattell Marte and I know where I want to take him, I don't want to design one of these pitching pathways that forces me to take a pitcher around the same point I'd want to take Marte. So, you know, the next level, you know, you sort of work hand in hand. And, you know, who knows if the, if the plan's going to work. But uh, you are sort of engineering your draft, your pitching to, to match. You know, if I want to take a second baseman that has a high batting average, and there's several of them available, I don't want to be taking a pitcher in, this, in the round that I'd probably be taking that second baseman. So it, it, you kind of mesh it with the pitch, mesh it with the hitting, and figure out which pathway best lands you on a team that you feel is competitive. Well, I thought it was a really interesting uh, article that you wrote, and uh, just for an example for listeners to understand, there's uh, a series of roadmaps that you offer. I think it's like eight or nine different pathways to get to a 350-ish ERA. At the very top, you can take Kershaw plus three five-level starting pitchers, three six-level starting pitchers, a couple of lesser closers, and you're still going to end up around 350. Then down at the other end of the spectrum, you can take three from the fourth tier, three from the fifth, one from the sixth, a couple of good Good closers, you end up around 350 RA. There's a lot of different ways to go about it. The uh, question, of course, that comes up, and you mentioned this in the article, is you're not looking at strikeouts in this, and you have to be cognizant of that. Right. Well, there's two things. Um, yeah. The, 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 in this, I'm going to be. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. Is the strike? I've talked about this tiering method for years, but I just added the strikeouts this year, and the first time. You know, I mentioned Ron before in his presentation of his new book. The first first pitch forum where I saw him present uh, his work, I kind of dropped my head in my hands and goes, and I said, oh, no, when I talk, I'm, I'm going to be writing about pitching, and people are going to think that I ripped this from Ron because it's a very similar process, but kind of not quite. Ron tracks skills. He tracks assets and deficiencies and risk. Uh, what I did was, it's it's kind of the same principle, but I mean, what I did was I assigned a pitcher a plus two, minus, plus one, minus one, minus two, or zero. Zero being the average. No, well, average, zero being if everybody in my staff has a zero and gets their strikeouts, I land on my strikeout total. So a plus two is like a guy like Kershaw, which, 
you know, really, you know, is well above what I need to, to land on the number of strikeouts. Plus one's a little bit above, you know, minus one hurts you, and, and minus two would be Mark Burley if he had a job. Um, and so just tracking the potential strikeouts along the way, uh, make sure that, you know, if you, you land on your ERA, but you're losing four points in strikeouts, well, all your hard work went for naught, because who cares what your ERA got? You know, you're losing points in strikeouts. And what happens is, you know, my tiers are different. So I have Sonny Gray higher than everybody else because I'm not including strikeouts in my tier. So, you know, if I may end up with Sonny Gray, but I'm also behind in strikeouts now. So at some point I need to draft a pitcher that makes up for that. So it's, it's just a way to, you know, to keep you in line uh, so that you don't lose, you know, like I said, people will say, you know what, I can just make up for strikeouts by streaming. Maybe you can. It's just harder than you think. Oh, it's super interesting stuff. Uh, I, I wish I'd seen more of it before uh, Tout Wars American League that I drafted in. I still think I did okay, but this tiering pitchers thing is, uh, I think, a, a breakthrough concept uh, and a really interesting way to approach the draft. Before I let you go, Glenn Lowy of BaseballHQ.com every year drafts an NFBC team and then writes about it for, for the website. And uh, in the start of his uh, article this week, he's about to go into his draft, uh, of course, the NFBC drafts Kentucky Derby style, which means you get to enter your preferences for which pick you'd like to have from 1 to 15, and then uh, they draw them out of a hat and you get your preference or your second preference and so on. He said he left his preference list at first, then second, then third, just a straight 1 through 15, with 15 being his least popular spot, and mentioned you in saying that he did that because the values diminish as you go through the picks. It's as simple as that. And... Uh, I've heard people say, though, that once you get past the four slot, you really might be better off being down around 13, 14, 15 because you get to take advantage of the wheel. Uh, where do you land on that real quick? I land on that. I, I land on the, what, what exactly what you just said. I want one of the first four, um, although I need to decide if I want to take Clayton Kershaw to try to win the overall. I think I'm leaning towards yes. Um, I'm much more in a team construct now than I am into value. And you're, it's it's so much easier when you're close to the wheel to pair up players, to pair up a power speed guy in the first and second round or to, to double hit catchers or whatever you want to do. So if I don't get one of the top four, I want to be by the wheel. And my, mine, mine goes 1 to 4, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and what, what 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, or 10, 9, 8, 6, 5. That's my KDS, and uh, actually it was just recently announced. I don't know where I'm drafting, but um, I do know, you know that was my KDS. Um, and it's it's important that the descending, you know, on paper, the first few picks are better, which is why I want them up top. But I think other people argue the fifth or the twentieth player that could be the same guy, which I think is a valid argument. But more important to me is from a team construct basis. You know, if I want two pitchers now and I'm in the middle, if I'm in the eighth spot, I don't know that I'm going to be able to draft the two pitchers I want at eight and then coming back in the next round. Whereas if I'm at 12 or 13 or 14, you know, if I have a list of three pitchers, I'm probably going to get two of them. So I, uh, I didn't go one to 15. Yeah. The one thing that baseball HQ did a few years ago, somebody tracked the, the dollar value of picks as they come off the board and it's a very steep curve at the start of it. And then it flattens out pretty quickly. And as you said, once you get past even seven or eight picks, really it starts to flatten out. And by the time you're in the third round, there's essentially no difference. You are basing your picks on team construct rather than just pure value. But 
when you when you were talking about the advantages of being close to the wheel, if you if you have um, a high pick, you're also close to the wheel, which is which is even better. So that's why you want to be one, two, three if you can, because uh, I remember in uh, I think the labor draft, uh, Jeff Erickson was the number one pick. He took Trout, and then on his wheel coming all the way back, he took two ace starters. Yep, yep, absolutely. And uh, he actually said he took Trout because he planned on double pinging. You know, he got Sale and Garrett Cole at that point, which is just sick. I think someone in the Tout draft actually ended up with Sale and Scherzer doing the same sort of thing. The draft that actually you weren't in, you were in the, the you were in the auction, but uh, Brent and Ray were in the in the draft, and whoever picked first or second did that exact thing, and they got who my mind are the st- second and third pitches, Sale and Scherzer. That's just ridiculous. I think it was Eno, Eno Cyrus. That's just ridiculous if you want to go that route. And I plan, you know, and you know, but back to the tears. I showed what you need to do if you do that. I showed, you know, what you need to, uh, the pathway of taking pitches in the second and third round, uh, to, you know, just to sort of and land on the array. It's kind of an interesting contrast to some of the other uh, pathways. But um, yeah, which is very good. Having the wheel, one or two, you know, first or second pick and the wheel. Is, is, is a bonus. <laughs> it's, it's great. Okay, Todd, boy, it's been a pleasure. Time sure flies. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let everybody know where they can read your work and uh, and uh, stay in touch with Todd Zola. Well, yeah, um, mentioned Rotowire a couple times. I am uh, working for Rotowire now. Uh, we, I will be doing some free blogging for them. Uh, the, the cut line we talked about is available for free. Some of the other stuff we referenced might be behind their paywall, but it's well worth it. They're kind of a, a companion site to, to HQ. One of the, I think it's I think HQ and Rotowire is probably the best pair you can get as far as analysis and news in tandem. Um, <coughs> excuse me, this still Masters Ball. Uh, uh, all over Twitter, I'm doing some uh, some some media work for Rotowire. And if you if you like this podcast, I do a couple ones with with Rotowire as well. And uh, starting this week, we're going to be doing our uh, the Monster Fab pieces. So if you're interested in Knowing who the uh, the, the uh, industry leagues picked up in free agency, check out the Masters Ball every Monday, the brand new Masters Ball, and we're going to have the uh, comprehensive Fab reports. So if you've got the if, if you're on the wheel to pick uh, websites, you you go the uh, Baseball HQ Rotowire tandem and uh, get the Power Speed combo. Oh, yeah. and you know I, I I you know I you know I I use my own as well. I you know but but yeah, honestly, I mean j- jokes aside. Um, HQ and Rotowire are a perfect pair as far as combining analysis and the news. Rotowire is on top of the news. Their analysis of the news is fantastic. And, you know, HQ speaks for itself. I've always believed that you should have access, uh, if you're serious about playing fantasy baseball, it's really a good idea to have at least two sites and maybe three, even if you have to pay for them. They're, if you factor in the cost of them over a year, it's not really that much. And, and getting all these different points of view is really valuable, I think. Especially on players that there's disagreement, because that forces you to make your decision. You're not, you know, you're not drafting a guy because, you know, the HQ projection or the roadway projection, you're noticing they're different. And you're saying, geez, I wonder which is right. So you look up the numbers on fan graphs and you determine your own decision as which guy is right. And I think that, you know, I think that if nothing else, having, you know, in, in both sites explain why they think what the way they do. So you're not completely working blind either. You can decide which reasoning you like better. So I think uh, 
for the outliers, if you will, it's a real advantage to use more than one source. Okay, Todd, thanks a million. We'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Have a good one, Patrick. Todd Zola, as you heard, writes for MastersBall and Rotowire.com, and he's a terrific Twitter follow, at Todd Zola. And, of course, he's one of our favorite guests here at Baseball HQ Radio. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 29th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 13 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. Of course, I also want to thank our guests for this Tuesday Tout edition of our show. From Masters Ball and Rotowire, it was Todd Zola. And as I said before, Todd's one of our favorite guests here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. And I hope you enjoyed spending an hour with Todd as much as I did. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our regular Friday news and comment show. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.